0: All right, let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. A little bit of review. The last passage uh, talked about the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that, that we are the salt of the earth. We bring flavor, preservation. We bring thirst to the world, and we are also the light of the world. We are reflectors of the light of Jesus. We don't have any light in ourselves, do we? It'd be pretty dim if it all depended on us. That's why we sing, it's all about you. Jesus is the light of the world, but he shines on us. And Marty talked about it in his, his opening prayer there, uh, prayer time, that, you know, that, that, that we reflect the Son of God. And we need to keep anything in between us and him out so that we might be able to fully shine. Jesus said, let your light shine. And don't try to hide it. That people may see our good deeds, it says there, in the last part of verse um, 16, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, that they would see the light of Jesus in the, in the lives that we live and how we live and what we do. We're, we're, we're trying to do good things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Now let's, let's look at verses 17 through 20 today. It says, Jesus says, He goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, this very um, incredible sermon that Jesus gave to us. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will, be, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments... And teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Two main subjects that I see here in these verses, probably many others that we could pull out. But, but two main subjects. Number one is, is God's word, the scripture. And number two is, is really uh, speaking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the difference between having religion and having relationship. Kind of those two things. So let's look at, at God's word first. He says there in verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus wasn't bringing a new teaching. They they were accusing him of this, that he was coming in, bringing some kind of new heresy, some kind of new thing, but Jesus wasn't bringing anything new. Jesus, he was speaking about the law and the prophets, and when the the scriptures talk about the law and the prophets, uh, they would use those terms really to refer to the whole Old Testament, all the writings that they had at the time. Sometimes they would say the law, the the prophets, and the the writings, or the... um, Something else that I can't think of right now. And so they would refer to the Old Testament scriptures, but but Jesus said, Listen, I didn't come to get rid of those things. I didn't come to start a new religion. He said, but I came to fulfill what was given to us in the old scriptures, in the old testament scriptures. He came to fulfill them. We need to be aware of anybody that comes along with a new t- a new twist, something that they want to add to the scriptures, or or change, or take away. You know, Thomas Jefferson. He was a very a very famous man, right? Everybody knows Thomas Jefferson. But Thomas Jefferson, he he kind of had this idea where he didn't believe a lot of things in the Bible. So what he did was he actually took like the Gospels and he would like cut and paste. If he had a computer, it would have been a lot easier than the way he had to do it. But he cut out all the things that related to anything that had to do with any kind of power, any miraculous, any, you know, angelic kind of things, anything uh, to do with supernatural. He cut that all out just to make it uh, just a, 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 well, what we would call today humanistic, just on the very human plane. Started some, tried to start something new. It wasn't really new because Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, is there? It's all all been around, all these false teachings. But, But it says in Deuteronomy, do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. I think he probably cut that part out, Thomas Jefferson. He says, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. In Proverbs it says, do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you alive. Prove you a liar. Don't add anything. So many of the cults that come along, they say, "Well, okay, well, yeah, that's good, but but now we need this book to help us." You know, this book, the Book of Mormon, or the the you know the book of the key to the uh, uh, scriptures. Uh, all these different kinds of groups. So the, the Watchtower Society. If you, you if you want to understand the Bible, well, read these booklets that we are going to produce for you. Um, that look kind of cheesy, but. Um, read them and they'll tell you what it's all about, right? You know, you know I'm talking about sort of cheesy paper they bring to your doors and stuff. No, why can't we just read the Bible? And, and not to say read other books, but, but Jesus is saying here, you know what? The, the Old Testament Scriptures had the truth in them, and I, and I came, and I came not to do away with those, not to change them, but to fulfill them. And they needed to be fulfilled, and we saw that in, in these verses about uh, that which will be accomplished in the Word of God. But Jesus, Jesus on the other hand, He was the only one who ever could fulfill the Old Testament Scriptures. Many of us, we read, we read the Old Testament and we go, wow, this is like so heavy. How could we ever do this? How could we ever, you know, fulfill any of this? But, but Jesus came along, the Son of God came along, and it says that He fulfilled every single one of them. He fulfilled it all. He was able to do it. Uh, David Guzik said this, Jesus added nothing to the law except one thing that no man had ever added to the law, and that was perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. He was able to do it all. He was sinless. The scriptures give us, when you study and you read about it, it says this in there, that the scriptures came to tell us the right way to go. It came to show what sin is, what, you know, what the right path is and, and, and what, you know, sin, defines sin for us because it, it gives us God's standard. We see none of us are able to completely fulfill that, are we? But Jesus came along, he says, he came to fulfill them and he completely and perfectly fulfilled God's standards. Why? He was the son of God. He was the sinless son of God. He fulfilled the prophecies. He fulfilled all the moral and legal demands. He fulfilled the penalties of the law. You see that when you when you think about the law now, speaking about like the first five books of Moses, and 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 there really were kind of three categories. And number one is like the ceremonial law, which included all the sacrifices. And then we have the civil law, which uh, you know includes all the the things about how to. To govern the nation, the people of Israel, and then the moral law. So Jesus came along and he actually fulfilled every single one of those. And, and the things that he has fulfilled, we no longer need sacrifices, right? Because he fulfilled them all. He fulfilled them all. Now it doesn't mean that, that they go all away and, and we're going to see he even talks about it. He says there are things that we need to fulfill in this in the Old Testament scriptures and in the law, mainly, let me say this though, mainly the moral law, that which is the, uh, you know, the right and wrong in society, the right and wrong. Some of those laws applied directly to the children of Israel at that time. Some of them were the sacrifices and all that, but Jesus fulfilled all those, so we no longer need to. We don't need to go and, and start making sacrifices of, of, of any kind except the sacrifice of praise and other kinds of things that the New Testament talks about. Jesus fulfilled all of them, which enabled him, because he fulfilled all these things and because he was sinless, led a sin, sinless life, he was able to pay the penalty for our sin, you see. If he was just a sinner like everybody else, whose sin would he pay for? The wages of sin is what? Death. And so when Jesus died, he would have paid the price for himself. But he was sinless. He was perfect in all his ways. And so he was able to pay the price for you and for me. Look at verse 18. It says says there, excuse me, he says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Until everything is accomplished. Again, this whole idea of the Word of God and how it plays into the lives of of the human race, Jesus says this right here, I tell you the truth. Other translations say verily, verily, or, or amen, I tell you the truth, or amen, truthfully. What he's saying here is that he's about to say something that is very, very important. But what I like about this is that 31 times in the book of Matthew, Jesus says these same words. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. 31 times. If if somebody repeats themselves 31 times, what does that mean? It's kind of important. And, and, and just the way that, that we read it here, I tell you the truth that Jesus came to tell us the truth and we can trust him, we can trust his word. I hate to say it, but, but uh, there is no other human being, there's no other person in the world that's going to come and say, I tell you the truth, and, and 100% of the time they're going to tell you 100% of the truth. Does that mean you should go around and distrust everybody? Because, no, but they're human beings. But Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, he he came to tell us the truth and and the the complete and total truth, 100%. And we have his word. The scripture, the New Testament speaks of his words. Of course, we know that the whole of the Bible is God's word. And Jesus being God, God the Son, this is his word. The whole of the Bible is his word. When Jesus is speaking here, of course, the New Testament wasn't even put together yet, was it? It wasn't written down yet. So he's speaking about the Old Testament scriptures at this time, is he not? And he's saying that, that, you know, we can trust these words. He speaks about, you know, them being fulfilled, that every one of them will be accomplished, even the smallest letter and, and and, and the smallest little stroke of a pen. The way Jesus looked at the scripture, you know, it was phenomenal. But I don't know that we kind of have that same appreciation of the word of God. The same understanding that that this word is incredible. That every bit of it is trustworthy. But notice what he says there, until heaven and earth Disappear. That nothing is going to disappear from this law till everything is accomplished. One of the things that Jesus would talk about, and we'll see much more of it back in, in Matthew chapter 24, is that there was a kind of a future aspect, was there not, of Jesus' message. He says, until heaven and earth disappear. That tells us what? That it will disappear. Not if it disappears. He, he didn't say if, he said until it does. When it does. And it's going to happen. That tells us that there are big changes ahead. Do we know when? And, and he said it himself. We don't know the day or the hour, but but there are things that are going to happen in the future. And from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is this aspect of the future. Eschatology in the, in the theologian's uh, you know, word book. Eschatology, the study of future things, things to come. But back in Psalm 102, it says... It says to the Lord, the psalmist says, in the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. In Isaiah it says all the stars of the heaven will be dissolved. The sky rolled up like a scroll. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Peter said by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He said also the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear. With a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. These are are prophecies of things that will happen. Now, obviously, this has not happened yet, has it? The Bible is full of of prophecies. The Bible is full of of truth that that some of it has already taken place. Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled all the prophecies of Messiah. Messiah. Namely, for Messiah's first coming. There are yet some for his second coming that are not yet fulfilled, right? But he fulfilled those, but, but there is still yet that which is to come. And this earth and, and, and will not stay the way it is forever and ever. He says, until they do, though, there's nothing of this word that will disappear until everything is accomplished. Everything will be accomplished from the smallest letter, the least stroke. None is unimportant. None is insignificant. The certainty of God's word being fulfilled. You know, if, if that's what Jesus said and we proclaim to be followers of Jesus, I think we should kind of know what the word of God says. If it's all going to be fulfilled, every bit of it, every little small bit, every large bit, if it's all going to be fulfilled, we should kind of know that, what, what does it say there? Now, can we know it all? No. I, you know, I've been studying the Bible for so long and there's so still so much I don't know. I don't understand. I, I'm still learning. But we need, to, we need to think about the Word of God in our lives. I read this quote <clears throat> It says, why... He says, why should this be so greatly emphasized, the fact that Jesus said, and he came along to say this, and I tell you the truth. He says, obviously because the utter truthfulness and the abiding authority of the Bible is critical to everything we are to know and believe as Christ's followers. If God has spoken to us in the Bible, if the Bible is his word, then the Bible must be truthful because God is a God of truth. It must be reliable in all its parts because God is utterly reliable. It must be lastingly authoritative because God is the only ultimate and eternally abiding authority. If the Bible is not truthful in even one of its very small parts, then it is not from God, and it has no more authority over us than any other merely human document. This is why the fiercest attacks on Christianity have always focused on this point, to attack the Word of God, to change it, to bring something else. If this is God's Word, how are we looking at it? What do we think about it? Is, is it a part of our lives? You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in having a, a believer for a Christian to have personal Devotions, You know, you send kids away on missions trips and, and many of the places they go where they, they teach them, they talk about having a devotion where, you know, sometime during the day they, they have a period of time where they just have a little bit of time with, between them and God. And it includes the Word of God, reading through the Scripture. I know, you know, some of you, say, oh, well, say, I don't have time for that, I don't have time, I can't, I can't understand it, you know. Have, have you tried? And you know, like I said, I've been a believer for, for over 30 years and I still, I still need to, to kind of force my flesh. Force my flesh, because my flesh wants to do all kinds of other things. Sleep. Watch TV. Mindless TV. My flesh wants to go here and go there. My flesh wants to read other books. That's the, one of the things I face too. I, I, I want to read other books and some of them are even Good books. You know, Christian books, biographies, and 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 you know, good teaching books. I want to read all these things, but those are no substitutes for God's Word itself. If if this is what Jesus is saying, you know, that these these words that we have in front of us, you know. I, you know, our society is changing. And, and over the last, even since I became a believer, you can notice, you can see how the Word of God has is um, uh, having a much smaller place. Smaller place it used to be, you know, Bible verses were kind of like part of our vocabulary, and many people perhaps didn't even know they were the Golden Rule. You know, do unto others. You, you know, the, th- so many things that were just a part of our natural and normal speech, but that has that has dropped down considerably. And now you would ask somebody, you know, some simple questions about, you know, who Moses is, or, or who David was, or, or anything like that. You know, uh, I don't know, who is it? You see, the the uh, the, the our, our scriptural uh, understanding and knowledge is just going down. But for us as believers, do we do we find that common as our common denominator? Or are we are we you know look to look at it differently? The Word of God. Jesus is saying here, you know what? It's going to be accomplished. Every single bit of it is going to be accomplished. Every single bit of it will be fulfilled. And He came to fulfill so much of it. Psalm 119 says, Your Word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Isaiah 55 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. Achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Peter, quoting Isaiah chapter 40, he says that all men are like like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. John 10 says, Scripture cannot be broken. Psalm 117 says it's steadfast forever and ever. Hebrews 4 says it's living and active. Psalm 12 says the words of the Lord are flawless. 2 Timothy 3.16 says the scripture is God-breathed. This book, this book, we have it freely. People have laid down their lives so that you and I could have this freely. Maybe we don't know any of them, but you look and study church history, you'll see. There are people in other countries who would, would do anything to have a Bible in their possession. And we have four or five or ten or however many we have. The Word of God. Jesus said, it's going to be fulfilled. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> Before we get to the second part of this message and about relationship and religion. Second Timothy chapter four, and verse one. Paul teaching Timothy, who was uh, kind of one of his uh, proteges, he says in verse one, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. That's a pretty heavy charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And this is his charge, verse 2. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke. And encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. A great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Just tell me what I want to hear, preacher. Don't tell me all that Bible stuff. Just tell me stuff that makes me feel good all the time. What does the Bible say? That's the question. What does the Bible say if we begin to just talk about stories and myths and, and all that you know, we do is tell you know, our experiences and stories that you know, we heard or we are part of and we don't have any biblical foundation? It's all chaff. It's all going to blow away in the wind. It's very concerning. You look around the church uh, the church of the Lord today, and and, and and you know, in the larger sense, and there's so many churches that are kind of drifting from the centrality of the preaching of God's word. You know, you, you hear about the what they call the emergent church, and and uh, you know, there are many true believers, I I believe, that are that are that are in maybe this group, and there's no way to really kind of pin it down. But one of the biggest problems. Is the undermining of the scripture is is kind of drifting away from the the foundation that we have of the scripture. Very, very crucial, very, very important. When it all becomes about just how I feel, when it all becomes just about, you know, making me feel good, it's danger. And that's what he's saying here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 19, he says, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Again, he he doesn't throw it all out. He says we need to obey God's word. Now, yes, we need to understand, as I was trying to explain earlier, that some of it, you know, does not apply to us. Some of it was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Some of it was, you know, applying only to those people of Israel in that particular setting. But there's so much of it that applies to every one of us, and it's very important for us to be obedient to what it says. Not, however, to get us into God's kingdom, because we get in how? through Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God no one it says in galatians is justified before god by the law because the righteous will live by faith that's how we get in by faith okay so paul in romans he says okay so we get in by faith we're not saved by works or whatever so pretty much do whatever you want to do right that's what he says doesn't matter he says, God forbid that we should have that attitude. God forbid that we should just throw it all out. Jesus didn't throw it all out, did he? In these verses here, he says, you know what? And you have to kind of look at this and say, well, he's saying those who, who do the right thing, who keep the word of God and teach others, they're going to be called great in the kingdom. Those who don't are going to be called least in the kingdom. It it, it When you look at it, it kind of looks like uh, those that, you know, are in the kingdom. There's some that are great and some that are least in the kingdom. There's some, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about rewards of, you know, what we do with our lives. Are there going to be different status in heaven? It appears to be that's the case. And it's by how we live here. To hear, like it says in the Gospels, you know, to hear that, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant, when we enter into the kingdom, enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. It matters how we live. It doesn't get us in, but it does matter. Finally, let's look at verse 20. For he says, I tell you that unless... Your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you could look at this and say, well, isn't that like contradicting what he said in the last verse? Actually, what he's, what he's saying here is that those people, that what they were doing was religiously keeping those laws. Religiously trying to do the right thing and, and to follow every single law. In fact, then they would take laws the, the Scripture, and then they would add laws, and you look at it, and they've added so much. They added the you know uh, the Mishnah, and then the... Um, I just read about this, now I can't think of the word. The Talmud. You've heard of the Mishnah and the Talmud. They add the Mishnah to explain all the laws, then the Talmud to explain all the Mishnah, and they've added all these things, and they were trying to keep these things, just the, the letter of the law, but Jesus said, you know what? if your righteousness isn't any better than what they're doing, you're not even going to get in. In other words, what he's saying is, it's got to be more than that. It's not about just works. Yes, it is important to do the right thing and live the right way, but it's not, that's not what gets us in, as we've already said. It's got to be more, though. It's got to be real. They were very, very religious, and, and when you would see them, those were the most religious guys on the planet. They were so religious. You know, I've been to Jerusalem, and you, you, you see these neighborhoods where, where the Orthodox live, and you go down to the Wailing Wall, and they're, they're so religious, and they're dressed a certain way, and they do certain things, and they, you know, they're, they're, they, they do the prayers, and they do all these you know, unusual things. But Jesus said, you know what? It's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be real. It's not just this outside thing. It's not just religion. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, which we'll get to. I don't know when, but we will get to in Matthew chapter 7. We're we're getting close to the end of Matthew chapter 5. Well, wait a minute. No, how about the middle? Look at verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. They did all the religious things. They were even wild about some of the religious things they were doing. But he said, you know what? That's not it. Just just saying the word "Lord, Lord," and, and trying to do these certain things. He says, "I never knew you. That's what, that's what it's all about. Do you know Him? Do you know him? We talked about it last week, not to not be ashamed of the fact that we know Him. Well, the first question is, do we know Him? Because that's what's going to get us into the kingdom. It's not just on the outside. You know what, I was talking about reading the scriptures for ourselves, and we need to read the scripture. But you could read the Bible 5, 10, you know, 15 hours a day and still not get into heaven. You could, you know, go, and that's what they do down on the wailing wall. They have their books, and, and I don't even know what they're reading because, it, you know, it's all in Hebrew. And, and, but, you know, they, they've got their books, and they're reading them, and they're, they're doing this and all that kind of thing. And and many of them are down there for hours and hours and hours. But if you don't have a personal relationship with God, that's not going to get you anything. It's got to go deeper. The Lord looks at the heart. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We got to have a heart relationship with him. We don't need more religion. There's plenty of religions. Plenty of religions. We need a heart relationship. We can't just be Sunday Christians. Or, or what they used to say in, uh, in England, C and E Christians. You know what that are? those are? Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter Christians. Oh, you look spirit, your religion, you got your religion thing happening, but without a relationship, we have nothing. We have nothing. There are a lot of people who don't even have a Bible that are right with God. They have a relationship with Him. They know Him. They don't maybe have a lot of understanding because they don't have the Word of God. But to have the Word of God and to know a lot of information, but without having that personal relationship with Him, we've got nothing. We, you and I, have the, the privilege, the opportunity to have both. To have God's Word, this incredible Word, don't, don't let the world steal this from you. You know I go through trials, believe it or not. I go through trials. Some of you think, you know, oh, you know, if you become a pastor or a you know, missionary or whatever, you never have trials. nothing ever happens bad in your life. You're just walking on clouds all the time. But you know what? I go through trials. Just ask the people who live around me, you know. Don't ask them. <laughs> and, and you know what? You know what makes a difference in my life is that God is there with me. But, but, but when, I, when I say, you know what, i I got I to stay in the Word, and I open up His Word, and God, God through His Word gives me some kind of encouragement. God through His Word gives me some kind of answer, some kind of help, some kind of understanding. Over and over and over again. You know what? This is year after year after year. This isn't just a one-time occurrence, folks. Try it. Test him. See. God is, a, is faithful to his word, and his word is for you and for me. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free as you stay in his word. We have God's word. Before it even makes any sense to us, though, we have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. Not religion. Religion gets you nowhere. But knowing him. What what did Jesus say? I'm thinking of the verse he said, um, this is is eternal life. What? To To know him and the Father. To know him and the Father. This is eternal life. To know him. Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Where are you? With him? That's the question. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, this powerful word, this indestructible word. This living and enduring word that, that every bit of it will be fulfilled. Every prophecy, every plan, every purpose will be fulfilled. Lord, we don't know the timing of all these different things. But just the the fact that you sent your Son to fulfill the prophecies of of the Messiah who would come and bring the answer, bring the truth, and who would pay the price for our sins. Jesus, you fulfilled that. And and Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We think today is Father's Day, and we think about you as, as the Father, perhaps the Father that we never had because you love us unconditionally and you love us and you care for us and you lead us and you guide us. But you use your word and your word explains that we need to know your son. We need to know you through your son and have a relationship with you. Father, I pray for each person here this morning that they would would know that they know, that they know you. Yeah, not that they would have every uh, bit of uh, understanding and knowledge, but they would know that that they have sincerely trusted You as the Lord and Savior of their lives and opened their lives and hearts to You to come in and be Savior, Lord. Father, I pray that You would speak to them through Your Word. Father, give us the strength, Lord. Our flesh is weak. Our spirits are willing. We want to read the Word. We want to pray. We want to be... F- following you, Lord, but our spirits are weak and, and then we face all the, the flesh and the world and the devil and all the attacks through all those ways. Lord help us, Lord. I pray you'd help us, Father, to live and walk in this world for you, Lord, obeying you, being lights to the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.